The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Oops, oops, oops. <laughs> you are listening to the Burrows of Berea. Nody no 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 nody no no notes nody no notes from the underground. All right, folks. Well, welcome back to Notes from the Underground. We're gonna take a microscope to some of Christianity's thornier topics and people. I'm your host. Tiziana, mom so hard for her. <laughs> How you mom is so hard today? I just, you know what? If you don't look both ways before you cross the street, <laughs> I am telling you, yeah. eyes up. Eyes up, kids. If somebody, if somebody tells you to jump off a bridge, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it too? <laughs> Speaking of with that sultry, you got to do it too. To my right, we have Rick, the Father Welch. Hello, everybody. So nice to be here. Yeah. And then behind the glass, Rocket Man Andy Bishop. <laughs> And Greg. And Greg. <laughs> he'll, he'll put and it Greg. if he thinks he has something to add. Don't worry. And our fabulous spa chairs. You listeners can't see that. Yes. For some reason, I have been given the gift of this incredible spa chair that Andy's got me set up in with like matching. Rick and I have matching blue throws on our wicker chairs with our soft cushions. Normally, Andy's got us just sitting on trash he found underneath <laughs> a blue chair. But this, this, I'm just kidding. But today... Today, did you go to Ikea? I mean, what's going on? Those are from Aldi. Aldi yeah. had very nice deck furniture, so I bought some new deck furniture. <laughs> I'm so comfortable. And and, uh, and and everyone has complained enough about being forced to sit on stools. That, <laughs> <laughs> that you finally did something I've about started, it. Yeah. Well, I mean, the chairs weren't for this, but I've started dragging them across the yard for <laughs> podcasts. I really like it. I'm very happy with it. And this. may I say, when I walked into the room, that Greg was sleeping so, so sweetly and soundly. And I told Andy, I said, I'm not taking this cat out of this chair. Greg, and Andy, like, pulled up a stool. He was like, it's fine. It's fine. I'll sit on the stool that everyone hates and complains about. It's it, fine. It honestly looked like a Martha's, like, like Martha Stewart Living magazine. You yeah. know how you have, like, a single picture and then everything is marked. And so on the next page, you're like, number one, and that's the blanket. This blanket came from such and such. And yeah. number two, this is the vase. This vase came from such and such. Yeah. And like, that's what it looked like with Greg Lang in this fancy ass Aldi chair, <laughs> like with the blue throw and like the, you know, green walls. He, he did. And Martha, eat your heart out, Martha. Yeah. And then. Who was on the cover of swimsuit, the the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. Greg was? No, oh. Martha Stewart. Oh, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. yeah. Wasn't that cool? I didn't see it. Yeah. She did it. She did the thing, man. I mean, I wonder how I many was, men across America. My eyes. No, my dude. Eyes. No, bro. You gotta look. No, you gotta go check it out. She's mm. like eighty six or something, but she can't. She looks like she's fifty. Yeah, totally. You know. Yeah. You know, fifty five. You know, she did. She did the thirst trap well. I mean, it was shocking. She's she's done the, uh, uh, what was it? I can't remember. Like, I guess she got that Illuminati vat. Lotion. Where yeah, it's all just... that weed she and Snoop are smoking. It's the, it's the you get the children's blood inserted. <laughs> in your yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, that yeah. jumps us right into the study. Perfect. Yeah, perfect timing. Well, so we're finishing up today, y'all. We're going to be wrapping up our study on same-sex relations and the Bible. This has been a really extensive 
four or five part study yeah, that's part so taken far. us through quite a few five, months. Fifth part. Yeah, I for one am ready to get 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 it out of my head. Mm-hmm. I'm ready to think about something else. This is like yeah. all I've been reading and thinking about for the last like five months, and it gets a it gets a little intense at times. Um, so hopefully we're gonna be rounding out the study today. Before I get started though. I got to correct myself a little bit. Oh, okay. Because I said some not true stuff Uh-oh. in the previous episode. Uh, I was uh, relating a um, a little anecdote from Plato's Symposium, wherein I, I quoted it as Aristophanes saying that he tried to seduce Socrates and Socrates wouldn't let him be seduced. It was not Aristophanes. It was Alcibiades, who was oh. a, a military general at the time. And he stumbles into the party with like, two prostitutes all drunk and he's like you guys want to hear about love let me tell you how Socrates is right like that's the Alcibiades did it not Aristophanes um Aristophanes was a playwright Aristophanes wrote Clouds I was right about that he's a comedic playwright in Athens but uh Aristophanes was also married and had three kids so later on I start saying that there was this one particular playwright that was kind of described as effeminate or whatever that was gay yeah that was gay that's not Aristophanes excuse me it was Agathon Okay. It was a different person. Um, and Aristophanes is the playwright that described Agathon that way. So that's where I got it twisted in my mind. Ah. So Aristophanes, and again, same rules apply, right? Like they wrote about real people. They wrote about each other. They were writing social commentary for their day. Mm-hmm. So Aristophanes did write this, didn't have Agathon be in his <laughs> Aristophanes play. was the Perez Hilton of Athens. He kind of was, I guess. <laughs> yeah, in a weird way. Wow. But yeah, but um, but yeah, so, so, so his name was Agathon and he was, you know, Aristophanes described him as effeminate and adopting women's clothing and customs and everything like that. Um, and he also did live with his Erastes, which is a guy named like Pausinius, he lived with his Erastes well into his 30s. Hmm. So that is an example of, um, in ancient Greece, a, a p- potentially an actually genuinely, truly homosexual relationship mm-hmm. where it started off as a Romanos Erastes, you know, with the pederastic arrangement. And listen, if you are just hopping in, there is absolutely no way you're going to be able to keep up today. Yeah, you got to go back. You got to go back, 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 back. At least one episode to hang with today, probably from the beginning, honestly. So if mm-hmm. you're just hopping in, I'm serious. Like just, just rewind everything that we just said, forget all of it, go back to the beginning. Yep. There's no way. So in any case, um, yeah. So Aristophanes was living with his Erastes way late into the relationship. And, um, and again, it was kind of one of those things where nobody thought anything of it, except for the fact that it kind of made um, Agathon like the bitch. Yeah. And that was, and he was the butt of the joke, but again, it wasn't necessarily the relationship. It was the fact that he was now kind of womanish. So is it seen that, I'm so curious after that last study that we did, mm-hmm. and I didn't ask this question. Mm-hmm. So was homosexuality approved of by the Greeks? You got to understand. So the concept of homosexuality didn't exist. Okay, so no, I don't so, mean- I, don't I know, mean, it's yeah. really hard to say. So what they approved of, Mm-hmm. was pederastic relationships wherein an older man was a, was was in love with and obsessed with and having s- not sexual intercourse but sexual touch with a young boy right that yeah. was fine because it was described as a mentorship program you were you were enlightening the boy with your wisdom and knowledge because you weren't just like always molesting the kid sometimes you were having 
debate. You're having conversation. Like we've already discussed, men did not get a wife until they were in their 30s and girls were 14. So they had no conversational partner for like an extremely long amount of time in their life, Mm -hmm. right? Like my husband and I are best friends. My husband and I lean on each other. We come to each other with what we're reading. Like the other day, I had this like mind-blowing moment because I I have never been in a relationship with a man that saved until now. So like he was sitting on the couch like reading – First Samuel, and I was sitting on the couch catching up on First Corinthians, you know, and it's like, we'll sit there and like discuss what we're reading and he'll ask questions and I'll give commentary and we'll talk, right? Mm-hmm. That's what a, that's what a loving relationship looks like. Right. But the Greeks had no concept of that. Mm. And that's the other thing. I did make this comment that Socrates told, uh, who we now know was Alcibiades and not, and not Aristophanes. Listen, I know all of you are so relieved to hear. Uh, yeah. Because you 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 all listening went you home and said, I don't think it was Aristophanes. Some the, part of my heart knows that's not true. The I know you're forks, seeing the fire yeah. and the fist. Yeah, breathing. you're all breathing a giant sigh of relief to <laughs> know it was in fact Alcibiades. <laughs> so Alcibiades didn't comment that it was because Socrates said, I love my wife. I must have heard that from some other thing that he whatever and read that into the story. That was not said. Okay. okay. So Socrates was, yes, a very vocal opponent of the sexual. Uh, component of pederasty. But I don't know where I imagined that it was because he loved his wife. Say that three times fast, huh? Right? No, please <laughs> the don't. The opponent of the component of pederasty. Yeah. The com- uh, an opponent of the component of the sexual component. Yeah. Oh. So he was, he was, yeah. The, so, so anywho. Um, and so because there was, like we have now in relationships where women are allowed to go to college and like have an education and like have a job and have a life. Because I have all those things, I'm able to be a proper intellectual and emotional partner for my husband, you mm-hmm. know? Um, we're going to ignore the age difference because that's also kind of a joke now that I'm thinking about it. Because I would technically be his Eromanos because <laughs> he's so much younger than me. But yeah. that's, that's, that's neither here nor there. Um, anyway. Um, he's also not a 14-year-old boy. He's not a 14-year-old boy. He was 23 when we met. I was Yeah, 36. he's a grown man. He was a grown man. But I mean, like, you know, I can— um, even in the context of my relationship with my husband, like I can see that there is, when you have an age gap, there is this like opportunity to have like this, this also like a mentorship aspect to your relationship. That's beautiful. When you're, when your partner knows something that you don't know and has been somewhere that you haven't been, can give you insight, can give you experience. You know, you're older than Holly. I'm sure there are times where like she's going through something in her life that you as an older man have been through already. And outside of the nature of your relationship as man and wife, you have the opportunity to help your friend. I do. And then, but there's also, because of the age difference and because I have these former experiences, I know that I could offer a lot of advice, and there's a lot of times when I feel like I don't really want to. Mm. Like, I want her to go through the experience and to have— I don't need to explain the experience all the time. Voila. Voila, exactly. And so so, so within within this conversation that we're having, in terms of pederastic relationships and stuff, there was also that component. Mm-hmm. And sure. so, And so the loving of men— to one another in an emotional capacity, in an intellectual capacity, in a uh, mentor-mentee capacity, in a fooling around behind the bar capacity. That was all fine. Mm -hmm. The minute one of the partners became receptive anally is when things got weird in Greek culture. Mm, Okay. Okay? That was what was gross. Okay. 
I don't make the rules. I just describe them. Mm-hmm. And that was the that was kind of the point of the class that I took and like a lot of the stuff that we try to tease out, a lot of the stuff we're trying to understand is that first of all, the concept of a man not growing up and like getting married and having children, like nowhere in any ancient culture was that not the norm. Mm-hmm. Because sure. you that's what you did. Right. You grew up, you got married, you had children. Not that some people didn't stay single, plenty of men did. There's even this really interesting um piece of Greek literature that I had read um, because the value of a woman and her role as the keeper of the house was also a kind of hotly debated issue because women are pieces of shit. Mm -hmm. And so some people were like, no, like this one guy wrote this whole thing on marriage and like how it can be beautiful and how it can be wonderful, how it can be co-creative, you know, and how, you know, look at how good she is at running the house. And she, you know, keeps track of all the expenses and keeps everything clean and runs the (laughs) household. Because again, you got to remember Greek houses, Greek households, were units of production. Mm -hmm. We talked about this. Not just units of consumption. They made things. They made wine. They made cloth. They made oil. They had properties. They had meat that they sourced, right? So a really successful Greek household was not just a unit of consumption. It was a unit of production. Mm -hmm. And so she could make money and the house could sustain itself because of what it produced. So you got this writer who's talking about the value of women and how when you have one that's hanging out and doing taking care of all this stuff at the house while you're out doing whatever it is you're doing as a dude, that can be a beautiful thing. And then this other writer was like wryly commenting on like, well, of course, that's because all the single men's houses are trash, right? Basically saying single men know how to take care of themselves. They don't need a woman to do it. So there were single men. Mm-hmm. There were men that didn't get married. There were men that lived their lives. There were men that did this thing. But in general, as a rule, you grew up, you got a wife, you got married. Your relationship with with boys and your relationship with other men, even though it was sexual in its nature, it wasn't homosexual in its in its essence mm-hmm. because they were all still going home to their wives. They weren't, you know what I mean? Yes. It's not a concept that even existed. This idea that you could have a... A, an inborn nature that makes you not just sexually attracted, but emotionally and spiritually attracted to the opposite sex or to the same sex, you know, that you, that you, you want to partner with that person. You want to live with that person. You want to be close to that person. You want to choose that person and that you don't even ever want to have sex with the opposite sex. That's gross to you. Mm-hmm. That concept did not exist. It was not either or for them. It was both and. Mm-hmm. which I believe is a part of why a lot of these laws were existing and why these conversations had to be had. Because these guys didn't think that like sleeping with a male prostitute was fornicating because mm-hmm. it wasn't a woman. Right. It, wouldn't, it didn't count. Yeah, it's- it's See what I'm saying? Being in our modern society, it, it, it's- it, we, we can't, can't wrap our minds around it. We can't it. see it the way that they we see it. We can't, we can't. And it's impossible. And, mm-hmm. that's like, and that's like the whole point of this study right? Mm -hmm. Is that, okay, there are very specific sexual behaviors that are being discussed in both the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament that are abhorrent to God. We absolutely want to know what those practices are. And we should be able to take our cultural lenses, look backwards in time, do a little dissecting of the language, and understand exactly what those practices are instead of applying our modern lens. Listen, if you're translating something from English to another language, you can translate both convenience store and supermarket very loosely as a place where goods and services are sold. Mm-hmm. But if you live here in the now times, you're not going to go to the convenience store for a custom birthday cake and you're not going to go to Ingalls for an Icy. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. 
but they are both loosely translated as places where goods and services are sold. Right. So it, it's really incumbent upon us as believers, as human beings, as people, mm-hmm. when we're trying to seek out wisdom on how to live now from texts that happened in, in antiquity, we have got to be willing to do that work. Otherwise, you're going to wander around condemning people to hell that God would never. And if again, if you want to live your life that way, that is totally fine. Some of the most wonderful Christians that I know are absolutely certain that all practicing homosexuals are going straight to hell regardless of whether or not they've accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. That is on you, dude. Like, I don't, I'm not here to like friggin' ice your cupcakes for you. I, do want, I want to say one for thing. For me in my house, I want to say one thing in regard to that. I've had... I've had a lot of relationships with people that talk talk like that. Sure. The the condemnation of another human being. Yeah. And to say and believing in eternal conscious torment, fiery hell for mm, eternity, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that they could look at someone and say for certain that person is doing is going to do that or they will say it with this little caveat unless yeah, they, at the last moment and they're quiet as they were like, they yeah. they change or, you know, but I have a real problem with condemning anybody because I know what my path has looked like. Sure. And it has been ugly at times. Absolutely. And I was a believer. Mm-hmm. And so for those on the outside looking at me would probably think at those times in my life, oh, he was never a believer. He is, you know, he is destined for eternal conscious torment. Like, that's the way they think. Sure. That is a brutal way to be. Mm-hmm. I think that, <clears throat> number one, they will try to quote certain things like, Jesus hated the teachings of the Nicolaitans. And so because of that, we can hate your teaching. Or um, how can you escape the fires of hell? You cross sea and land to make one proselyte and make them twice the son of hell. Something that Jesus sure. would say. And he was talking to the religious leader, religious leaders of his faith that were laying down the people faith. with burdens that they themselves would not lift a finger to carry. And so it was about power, and yeah. it was about power dynamics. Which right. again, we've talked about at, at, at agnosium here mm-hmm. is what is is one of the things that God hates the most. He doesn't like these power dynamics where people with power are able to extort from mm-hmm. people that don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you also have to think, folks, the things that I. The way you know, you don't have to live like me. I'm telling you, my the, my perspective is if you're looking at someone who lives and has a same sex relationship, and you look at their life and you say, the only way that they're going to get to heaven is if they change and conform to the image that I've given them. Mm-hmm. The mind that the the decision that I've made is that I believe the Bible says this, and so they have to conform to the image that I see that the Bible's laid out in order for me to believe that they're eternally secure. Mm. I don't necessarily believe that's our place. Well, and this is what we're going to get into Good. when we're talking about this stuff, because we're, what we've successfully worked through uh, Genesis, we've successfully worked through Leviticus, and then I just quickly want to recap what we did last time, which was straightening out Romans 1, verses 26 and 27, mm-hmm. um, because I don't know if I fully did it justice. So Paul's employing a rhetorical device, uh, wherein he is quoting some commonly held ideologies or beliefs that would have been circulating around um, the Hellenistic Jewish community concerning those icky Gentiles. And 
he's using the sort of language and references that would have immediately clicked with them. We talk about this all of the time. Sarita was talking about it on her Beatitudes study. Like we talked about the Hebrew study. Right. There are certain things that are said in these letters that are written that to the community, they would have immediately known exactly what he was talking about. Convenience store, supermarket. Mm-hmm. That for us, we're like, what? Right? So that's what's happening um, in in. Romans 1, 18 through 32. Those are the specific 15 verses. Because I, I mentioned the specific 15 verses. So it's specifically verses one, uh, 18 through 32, where the Greek changes dramatically into a Greek that is absolutely unpauline. Nobody, no biblical scholar has ever been able to be like, that makes sense because that's how Paul talks. He doesn't talk like himself. He's quoting something else. Mm-hmm. Or he's speaking in a style of something else. And again, we have that something else. It's called the, the, the Wisdom of Solomon. And it's a Hellenistic book that existed at a period of time. Now, I think that book was written in, in Jewish rather than, in Hebrew rather than Greek. It was written, it was written in Jewish. It's written in <laughs> Hebrew rather than Greek, right? So uh-huh. it's like not a word for word match. But if you if you ever read the Wisdom of Solomon, it sounds exactly like what Paul's doing. So Paul is not, when he says, and women exchange natural relations, he's not giving his opinion. He's quoting the rhetoric of the Hellenistic Jewish culture that they were using to justify their judgment of and their condemnation of the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And again, we talked about that in the last episode, that there was even, they even, Hellenistic Jews would tell all their young Jewish boys that all the Gentiles had um, venereal disease because Mm -hmm. they just wanted them to be afraid of them and stay away from them, Mm -hmm. you know? Sure. So, um, so it's it's specifically those 15 verses are 18 through 32. What would be verse 33 is chapter two, verse one. He jumps in and says, therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are. So you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Paul's not, it's not an, it's not a, it's not a catch-all condemnation of homosexual relations, either male or female, because also that is the only place where, where mentions of female and women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. Mm-hmm. Also, by the way, everybody in the early church understood that as women started having anal sex with their husbands. Mm. Nobody nobody actually thought it was lesbianism. I I think it could be, and I discussed that in the last one, but also it could, all the early church fathers, like, you know, um, they were, ta- yeah, with, they were talking a, about- Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. They all thought, it, they automatically understood it to be anal sex mm. that women were having with men. Mm. natural relations for natural ones. I don't necessarily think it's just contained to that because again, the concept of natural versus unnatural was a conversation in the argument around pederasty where proponents for pederasty were saying that it was natural for men to want to sleep with other men and it was more masculine and more natural. Mm-hmm. And um, the other argument was, no, it's more natural for women to sleep with men like because they can both enjoy it. Like that was part of the argument. I'm just recapping because I want to make sure that I made that clear. Yeah that that's what's going on there. I yeah. don't think I really was clear about the specific verses, right? No, so. I mean, I, I mean, I think you did. I, I, That's what I was picking up. Okay, cool. Cool, yeah. cool. Then never mind. Andy, cut all that. No, just, you can leave it in there. Just cut I was it out. Yeah, you're yeah, good Yeah, because I think it was the, I, I kept talking about the specific 15 verses, but I didn't tell you what they were. It was mm. specifically verses 18 through 22. Yeah. And that's in that, that well, section, that's the known, clobber passage. Yeah. Romans 1. Like, if you, you want to talk about homosexuality at the, end, yeah. at the church, Romans 1. Right, and so sure. when you say Romans one, we automatically know once you yeah. hit verse eighteen. But what's wild the is that the language, his Greek, changes immediately in chapter two, verse like immediately the next verses, and so therefore you have no excuse to judge. So he he's he's like he's like saying, oh, this is what you think. Well, you can go f yourself because you're just as bad. Yeah, I'm being very particular about my use of the f word. I've used it too much, and I'm trying not to use it so much. I'm going to try to not have to be bleeped as much. <laughs> I know not everybody likes that word. 
So I'm trying to be. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be good over here. That's very kind. All right. of you. So I'm, we only I'm have miss two. The piano noise I've been using. Yeah. Go, yeah. Go. You can just throw it in there. I could fart or something. Yeah. And you can just cover it with that. Um. <laughs> anyway, we are moving on to the very final two verses that were that are often referenced when it comes to same-sex relations. So those verses are uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 1 Timothy 1, 10. Uh, these two sets of verses that they're contained in, those are often called clobber passages. They're often called clobber passages or vice lists because they describe the sort of characters that you will not see in the kingdom of God. So we'll start with 1 Corinthians. Um, all right. The apostle Paul was a convert a Jewish convert to Christianity when he had an experience with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, mm -hmm. right? Paul then spent the rest of his career traveling about and proselytizing and setting up churches in all these different countries, Spain, um, Italy, all these different places, right? Yeah. So, uh, and a good portion of what we have in the New Testament are letters that he wrote to these communities, which is no surprise. Mm -hmm. So, 1 Corinthians is written to the people that lived in Corinth. We've also talked a lot about the Greco-Roman world. Corinth was not Greco-Roman. It was just straight up Greco. Mm, okay. Corinth um, is a seaport in South Central Greece, and it's been a, it was an it was an ancient Greek city from the beginning of Greece's like national identity. It had a lot of strategic and commercial power in ancient Greece. It was a seaport. Um, it had this. It was like situated where there was this giant rock behind this port and this giant kind of monolithic like <clears throat> structure, mm -hmm. and so it provided had a lot of uh, strategic. Uh, power because you couldn't just attack it from either side. So it was this very important commercial seaport. It was a huge city. Uh, eventually, Athens kind of replaced it as the major seaport. And then there was like all these like skirmishes and, and kind of battles. And then in, in 146 BCE, eventually um, it's destroyed in um, Rome's kind of eventual takeover of the whole region. Mm -hmm. Right. And then in 19, excuse me, in 44 BCE, Julius Caesar reestablishes Corinth as a Roman colony, and it becomes the administrative capital of the whole Roman province of Achaia. So uh, that's like 100 years later, Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. So um, just so you know, Corinth, Greek. So everything we discussed about Greek culture that the Romans adopted, Corinth was like, where it was going down. Corinth is so well known. First of all, the story that I told last episode about the man, Melissius, and had the super cute son that one of the guys wanted for his Erastes. And so he's pursuing him, but mm -hmm. the boy was like, no, I'm going to be chased. And so he got all drunk and went in and ripped him apart. That happened in Corinth. Okay. That happened in Corinth. Corinth was so well known for its lascivious and like lecherous attitude in general that Aristophanes, and I do so like mean Vegas. Aristophanes this time, he coined <laughs> a term called to Corinthianize to describe being like overly sexually lascivious. Huh. So what happens in Corinth? Yeah, Corinth was the <laughs> Vegas Goes of all Greece. Over the world. <laughs> no, seriously. So Spartans yeah. had this attitude and for being well-known warriors. Um, you know, Athens had this, Athens was well-known for its comedy. Attic comedy was like, it, it, it was like the, the hot spot for like, you know, comedic, writing. Corinth was where you went to get weird. Yeah. Sexually. Asheville. No, I'm serious. <laughs> that was its that was its national identity. What is right? the, what is the yeah. country that's infamous? Taiwan or Thailand? Thailand. Uh, Thailand. Thailand. Yes. Yeah. Corinth also in its antiquity had one of the largest temples to Aphrodite in all of Greece. 
Mm, okay. It it was it was a temple that was so huge it employed hundreds of temple prostitutes, hundreds of temple prostitutes in Corinth. Uh, it also had a temple to Apollo, but that's like less relevant. Still, still temple prostitutes. Just that phrase. I mean, if you just change it to church horse, <laughs> you can right like that gives you that gives you the bite of it that it probably that. Yeah. That it kind of should have, that temple prostitutes doesn't, yeah. but it's exactly the same thing. Yeah, it like, is. And, and, and yeah. once you say it that way, you're like, whoa. Although, you know, like with temple prostitution, you got to remember there was definitely an aspect of 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 consent and agency that is removed a, a lot. So like Xenophon is this this guy that was a, he was a, an Olympic medalist, you know, like in the history of the Greek Olympics, and they mm-hmm. kept track of that stuff. This guy, Xenophon, was like one of the winners. And uh, he gave 100 virgins to the temple of Aphrodite as an act of Thanksgiving. So were they, did they want to do that? Mm. What, you know, were they virgins? Were they children? Yeah, pro- probably all of that, <laughs> you know? But ultimately, this is, uh, the whole purpose of this is to bring money into the temple. Yeah. That's the whole purpose. It's just a big business. It's a big business, but also like for these folks, again, so you got to remember like for these people too, it's an ice, it's part of their worship. They think that this is how they get, get, get along with their gods. Mm -hmm. They think that their gods like this stuff. Like they like it. They want to watch that. They want to be a part of that sacred prostitution. And in some circles, sacred sex and, and sacred prostitution is how (sighs) other people describe temple prostitution. Mm -hmm. If there is an agency to it. And if you are, you know, you know, cover your ears, Andy. But like, if you are a a a, a married person, with, you know, that's Christian, you you do know that there's a certain aspect of sacredness to your sexuality mm-hmm. when you know you're in that loving, committed relationship that God has blessed. So, like, there there is that aspect. To Why it. does it? You, I don't know. I just felt like it would make Andy ears, feel weird. Even. <laughs> yeah, I just felt like it would make Andy feel weird for some reason. It doesn't. Be like, yeah, se- I'm not allowed to know the secrets. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, Andy's Andy's not privy. You're not allowed to see my secrets. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I'm, just kidding. I'm just kidding. But anyways, the point of all this is that both in ancient times and in Paul's time, Corinth was a happening city with a bad reputation. Mm-hmm. It it had an economy. Part of its economy was just based on, um, like you were saying, temple prostitution did bring in money. So it had a, an, an economy that was based on pleasure. It, it was known for having a pleasure economy. Mm-hmm. So... Every one of the letters that we read to the different communities that Paul established has a different flavor that's based on the types of people in the church that he established. Like, you know, when you read Thessalonians, it's very, very different. You know, mm-hmm. we, when you read Romans, it's very, very different. Romans, you can tell he's arbitrating between these two communities, right? The book of Corinthians is a—there's <laughs> so much about sex in that book. Like, of all the different epistles— Oh, that church was a mess. That church was—but it was not just a mess. It was a sexy mess. It was like, a sexy mess. That, <laughs> a sexy that's that's mess. the thing. And I, and, I, and I point all this out because what we're going to get into when we jump into 1 Corinthians is that not just in this one particular verse, but in the entire book, the book of Corinth has a lot—the Corinthians has a lot to say about sex because the inhabitants of Corinth had a generational curse of sexual immorality that was rooted in the land, that was rooted in um, worship of Aphrodite, that was rooted in pederasty, that was rooted in, you know, a city of dark pleasures that made its name for itself based on being the place where anything goes. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? So like, so again, 
when we're reading this letter, we have to be willing to understand that this is also to a specific community that was struggling with a certain thing. Yeah, the the hermeneutic of audience relevance matters. Yeah, yeah. Especially in this book. Yeah, yeah. Because like, like, you know, if you're not up to speed on the book of Corinthians, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, Paul is not super stoked. Yeah. With the way these guys are doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And he kind of jumps right in with giving them like a spanking from the immediate get-go of this book. And some of his bigger beefs, and like we can just like read some of it. Yeah. Because I think it's important to actually read the texts. Historical but, I mean, beef. Yeah, historical beef. Um, he has like, he gets really upset because there's a man that's sleeping with his father's wife. He gets really mad about that. Mm-hmm. He gets really mad because, and this is interesting— they were having like the like they were having the Lord's Supper, which we do. We just eat a little wafer and a little drink of juice from a thimble. Yeah. Once a, a, a month, you yeah. know. But back in the day, they would have a meal together. The Lord's Supper was a meal. Yeah. And it was part of how they 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 discussed as part of how they built community with one another. And so what was happening is there were some people that were just like coming to the Lord's meal and just like eating all crazy and guzzling and gluttonously. And so then people were arriving late to the meal and there was nothing left for them to eat. And they were getting drunk. And they were getting drunk. Corinth, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. Mm -hmm. You don't see Paul having that problem in other churches. No. You don't see that coming up in other books. So again, we have to remember that they're like the people of Corinth, the converts were coming out of a very specific kind of lifestyle that they were having a hard time understanding how it fit into the Christian community, mm-hmm. right? And so so Paul's like, y'all, because at the other time he says, when he says, um, not many of you were wise, but he's, so he's writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, listen, not many of you were wise by the today's standards, not many of you wealthy, you know, but the Lord chose you. He chose the things that were unwise. He chose the things that were foolish. So what this suggests when he says not many of you is that some of them were. So the church in Corinth also likely had a very stratified, it was a socially stratified body of believers. Mm -hmm. So you had a lot of wealthy people that had different ways of doing things. And again, remember pederasty, you know, paying for prostitution. These are all like vices and activities that the upper class get a chance to hold on to and do. You don't generally get to do that if you're a slave slave class. Right. Right. So you had this like body of believers that was complex, that was socially stratified, that was bringing in all these different different exposures and experiences into uh, from from either end of the spectrum of the behavior either you're you're going to have can you imagine if your church was full of the dishwashers and the servers from Cracker Barrel but also only the people who go to eat at Cracker Barrel after church on Sunday mm-hmm. do you think that those people would get along super good. Do you think those people would have the same experience? For those of you that have never worked at Cracker Barrel, that would make a bit of an antagonistic relationship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Can, or you know, we can we can take that anywhere. We can take that. Far. Can you imagine? I go to the gym. I go to the gym all the time. All the people that clean the gym in my in my gym, most of them are Hispanic, and like all the the people that work there and are cleaning and put racking weights and stuff. The guy that runs our gym, that is in charge of the the janitorial crew is a white guy, but he lived in Spain for like 30 years. So he speaks Spanish perfectly. I go out of my way to speak Spanish to these people when I see them because it's appropriate Mm -hmm. because I speak Spanish and so do they. And I can see the looks on their faces and they're happy about that because 90% of the clientele at that gym treats them like they're invisible. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine what would happen if those people went to church together? Hmm. They're all supposed to be worshiping the same God, but they socially occupy very different places. Right. Yeah, it'd be that very was separate. part of the yeah. issue in Corinth. 
That's part of what Paul is talking about here. That's why he dives into that whole thing about eating meat from that's been sacrificed to idols. Right. Because you would have had a socially stratified body of believers, the ones on the, that were maybe had less access to food and money would have maybe a different experience with eating that food than the people that had more money and had access to all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, so you have to remember. So there's there's this stratified community. They're all hanging out, and Paul's like, "You guys, you're you're. I'm so mad at you. You have a guy that's sleeping with his mother-in-law. You have people that are suing each other. You know, you've got people teaching that you're not even allowed to have sex, even if you're in a married relationship. That's ridiculous. Like he's got a lot to say about." sex. Mm-hmm. And in five, you know, chapter five, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to just read five because we're about to jump into the vice list. So let's read chapter five. First Corinthians chapter five. It is actually reported that there's a sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even found among pagans for a man is living with his father's wife. And we talked about this power dynamics. Mm-hmm. It's a power play. We talked about this in Leviticus. When it's like um, in, in when David is old, and he has a young woman that comes in and, and sleeps with him and yeah, keeps like, him warm. And, with him, yeah. and then his son sleeps with her in view of everyone. It's not about the sex. It's power play. Right. So, again, Paul's like, not even pagans do that stuff, dude. Right. Because <laughs> it's pets of power play. So, should you not have rather mourned so that he would— uh, So, so yeah. So And you are so arrogant. Should you not rather have mourned so that he who has done this— would have been removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment in the name of the Lord Jesus on the man who has done such a thing. When you are assembled and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not a good thing. Do you not know that a little leaven, a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Clean out the old yeast so that you may have be a new batch, as you are really unleavened. For our paschal lamb, Christ, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral persons, not at all, meaning the immoral of this world or the greedy and robbers or idolaters, since you would then need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother or sister who is sexually immoral or greedy or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or robber. Robber, Do not even eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging those outside? It is not those who are inside that you are to judge. God will judge those outside. Drive out the wicked person from among you. So Paul is like, that's, and that's five. So first of all, we have already a, a vice list. He's describing mm-hmm. the kinds of folks that are out there in the world. Mm-hmm. It's not that he's specifically attacking greed as a thing that will get you out of the kingdom or reviling, which is like being loud and but basically verbally assaulting someone mm-hmm. um, and, and whatever else he says on the list. He's, he's not just saying these specific behaviors. He's saying there's a certain evidence that you will naturally produce if you are of the spirit of God in you and these kinds of behaviors aren't those kinds of things that you're going to see, mm-hmm. right? Right. So then he goes on from this chapter five where he's like, okay, like this is this is what you guys are up to and it's like really not cool and like this is how people in the world act and I don't know what's going on. He then jumps in from chapter six, nine through 11 because he goes on and this is the specific prohibition that we're going to talk about now. Okay. So he says, do you, now I'm going to read this from several different, a couple of different versions. I'm going to read the the RSV version right now, the Revised Standard Version, okay? Mm -hmm. 
Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Which he had just said in group five. If he just said that a second ago. So he's really, he's really driving home. There's a certain culture that you guys got to get out of that you're used to. Because mm-hmm. that's not how we do things in the kingdom of God. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, male prostitutes, sodomites, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, revilers, robbers. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you used to be. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. All right. Now we're going to read that from King James. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists shall inherit the kingdom of God. So these two specific translations, and you can read all of the translations if you like. Mm-hmm. You'll notice that most of the words are a word-for-word translation, okay? In the RSV, we have, uh, do not deceive. Uh, so I'm going to read it directly from the RSV and then King James. So RSV fornicators, James fornicators, idolaters, idolaters, adulterers, adulterers. But then RSV says male prostitutes, and then King James says the effeminate. Then RSV says sodomites and King James says, abusers of themselves with mankind, then it's back to thieves and thieves, drunk, uh, you know, greedy or covetous, drunkards, drunkards, revilers, revilers. So what that suggests to me, since everything else, and you can read this in any translation, you're gonna find it's exactly the same. Whether or not you're in, in a Greek culture or whether you're not in um, English culture, American culture, a drunk's a drunk. We mm-hmm. all know what that is. But there's something about the two words in the Greek when they tried to get translated into English were unclear enough that you actually have very different translations of those two words in almost every translation. Some of them translated as, and it's always two things. It's not one, it's two. Mm -hmm. So if it was just being gay, it would just say being gay. Mm -hmm. There's two specific actions, two behaviors. Those are all lists of behaviors, not orientations. So there are two specific behaviors that are being discussed here that are so rooted in whatever they were going on at the time that there's no actual direct translation into English. So let's spend a little bit of time on what those two specific words are. Okay. Those two words that show up in 1 Corinthians are, the first is, they're, they're, the words are malakoi and arsenoquitis. So starting with malakoi, so that's the word that, that is translated as effeminate or male prostitute. That word in the Greek is called malakoi. So malakoi literally means soft. And the word malakoi appears in Greek in other parts of the Bible. Um, it appears in Matthew eleven eight and Luke seven twenty five to describe John the Baptist when Jesus is like, who would you go out in the wilderness to see? A man dressed in soft robes? The word is malakoi. Mm-hmm. But just like in English, how the word soft has different connotations, yes, it can mean Andy petting his soft cat, Greg, right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can mean the fabric of this beautiful, like Martha living, all these special aqua colored fleece that I'm sitting on. Yes, it's soft. Mm-hmm. But have you ever heard somebody describe another person as saying, ah, they've gone soft? Yeah, or soft hearted. Or soft hearted. Right. So just like that, the word malakoi in ancient Greece also had a context. And we know what that context is because we see it used in other writings. Mm-hmm. Malakoi was a pejorative used to describe effeminate callboys that were freeborn men and not slaves. So this goes back to 
our previous discussions in the previous episode about pederasty and the sorts of arrangements, the very wide spectrum of relationships that this produced, there was a certain dynamic wherein, as the Aramanos grew out of his desirability, 14, 15, 16, and became a man, um, they were basically dumped after being the crowning achievement, the crowning glory of, of sexual desire. They're just like kicked to the curb. A little bit like Pamela Anderson, mm-hmm. you know, or like, uh, oh, Anna Nicole Smith. Mm-hmm. You know, once you've met, once you're not 20 anymore, America's like, eh, get out of here. Right. And what do you see? Unless you're Martha Stewart. Unless you're Martha friggin' Stewart, man. <laughs> that woman, I tell you what, I'm going to follow her lead. Her and Jennifer Lopez, get out of here, making the rest of us look bad. Yeah. But here's the thing. Have you ever seen those women and they like, they like cling to their youth? They refuse to let it go, right? Like they always just want to be sexy like that and get their hair and they keep the hair and keep the boobs and keep like the makeup. Dolly Parton. She's a sweethearted person, but she's very, you know, she pays a lot of attention to her figure and Yeah. What and she, she wants looks like. to, but she wants to hang on to that thing. Sure. That that youthful desirability. All right. So in ancient Greek culture, that was also a problem. When these men would outgrow that period of time where they were the most sexually attractive, they would do things like shave their face and become quote unquote effeminate. That's why Aristophanes is making fun of Agathon. Because mm-hmm. he's saying, oh, he's 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 not turning, he's not letting go of that stage of his life and entering into his manhood. He's just hanging on to it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, there was this kind of, and again, talking about the dynamics of sexual encounter. If you were the pitcher, or whatever. If you were the catcher, now you're gross. Mm-hmm. These effeminate call boys were then these these boys that were growing up. They, these, pederasty existed among the wealthy and they were freeborn men, mm-hmm. right? They're not slaves. So at some point, these guys are refusing to let go of that sort of the power and like the social um, boost that they got from being the height of sexual attractiveness. So they hang on to it by shaving their face, dressing like women, wearing women's clothes, and eventually becoming a, a call boy for hire, not because they need the money and not because there's no agency, but because they just kind of enjoy the power dynamic that they get out of being desired. Mm-hmm. So, and we see that happen all of the time in, um, we see that a lot, like being called a Malakoy or being called like uh, Malakos is another, like a way to say it. We see that in ancient Greek culture. We see that in other ancient Greek writing all the time. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what Paul's talking about in this particular, your particular I, setting. I was going to say something uh, in regard to that. So the use of the word Malakoy yeah. in the Christian study uh, dynamic what they'll do is they'll use the Bible alone and they'll say, okay, when is this mm. word used in other places in the Bible? And then mm-hmm. therefore, how do we interpret it? And I think that that's fine. However, yeah. if you know that there were other Greek writings written at the same time or in that time, why can't you look at the way that those words are used in the culture? And you should. Booty call, butt dial. Exactly. Two different things. Yes. And you, so you, you have to, yeah. you don't just use it from the Bible, you take a full context. That's why if I take my Strong's Concordance and I read a word and I say, hey, that's what that word means, it's not always the case. We learned that when Dr. Frost was here. He would say, yeah, you you would grab the Strong's and say, this word means this. Well, in fact, it doesn't. When you you when use it yeah. four different ways in these sentences, it means something completely different. Right. And so we got to use these other. So that's a really good point you're making. Yeah. Like we can't means, just use the two from Matthew whenever Jesus used the word Malakoy talking about John the Baptist. Yeah. Bad you means bad use, until it means good. That's right. <laughs> you yeah. know, like, 
That's it, right. We do this all Shame the off, time. Sister. Yeah, mm-hmm. like we, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who's bad? It means it's it, bad. Means bad means bad until it means good. That's so right. you've got to be willing to understand context. So for me, looking at all of this, and again, keeping in mind, keep in friggin' mind, this was a socially stratified body of believers. Mm-hmm. So within that socially stratified body of believers, you absolutely had slaves that had no power over what was being done to them. Mm-hmm. And then you also had worshiping in the same pew, rich boys, rich men that were choosing to engage in this behavior because it made them feel good. It made them feel desired. It made them feel wanted. It made them feel... Um, I I mean, like, they're they're essentially like playboys that are yeah. a little too old for the game they're in. Right. But right? worshiping you, you next imagine, to former slaves who probably... Yeah. But you can imagine this, you know, those. you can imagine those people in this mm-hmm. day and age, whether they be male or female, you know... And listen... And this is what we're getting into. If you're gay, I don't, again, that's not what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Just like prostitution and the prohibitions against prostitution are not a commentary on heterosexuality. Mm-hmm. They're the commentary on a context. Right. That's what's going on. Sure. No. It's the commentary on a context. But we're going to get there. So just, just you know, because we got to talk about arson acquainti next. Right. So, it but like, keeping in mind, yeah, like arson coitus, like fire. Yeah, arson arson coitus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So it sounds like, like arson of sex. Arson and co- keep in yeah. mind too, like in ancient in ancient Greece. So there's this like, so we have all these documents that survive from Greece and Rome. Some of it is plays. Some of it is poetry. Some of it is like the roster for a party. Mm-hmm. Some of it is a legal document that managed to survive. We have this one legal legal argument, legal document called Against Tamarcus. And it's this guy, this lawyer, it's the it's it's basically a court transcript. And he's coming up, he's coming against this wealthy guy, Tamarcus, and he's like just ripping him up one side and down the other and talking about what a piece of trash he is. And he's he's calling him a malakoy. Mm. And it's with the most absolute disdain and disgust. Because and and then the, and what's crazy too is that like the the guy who's arguing that the lawyer he's like now I'm a lover of boys myself but like you know like <laughs> but, <laughs> but not like that ah, right so it's like so funny. it's so great I'm like so I don't funny. make the rules you guys I don't but yeah he even like he says when I you know I'll partake now and then but you know I'll never take it in the butt that's what he's saying right. But this is this guy's doing it. And again, it's like the whole point is, and it's not because he's desperate. It's not because he needs money. It's not because he's in love. It's that's the, the against Tamarcus, that's the whole point. It's not because he's in love. Mm-hmm. It's because he just wants power, he wants control, and he wants to make money. Mm-hmm. Party boys. He's a party boy. And so again, so keep in mind, Malakoy has a connotation of 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 prostitution, not out of like, you know, Ruth in mm-hmm. a desperate bid for love and safety mm-hmm. just because they enjoy the power and the the power dynamic that that it that it employs and yeah. the money they're freeborn men that don't need to do what they're doing because they want to and again it's misogynistic because they're not they're not making themselves prostitutes and then sleeping with young single men they're sleeping with married men that are then taking that venereal disease back. That's why he says they received in the, their bodies their due punishment. He's talking about venereal disease. Right. Of <laughs> course. Know? He's, you know, so they're taking these diseases back home to their wives where they're passing it on to their kids, right? Like there's this other dynamic of um, public health concern. Sure. That's not being, that's that's also God, but that also Paul is saying, look, you know, the body of Christ is pure. Mm-hmm. The body of Christ needs to be pure. Not just because it makes us better than other people, 
but also because you're passing these diseases on, venereal diseases on to your wife, who she didn't do anything wrong past. And you know what happens when a child's born, when a woman has an active gonorrhea infection and the child's born, child's blind. Blindness. Blind. Mm -hmm. So it's like your sin, your desire to like get a piece of weird is yep. so strong that you are going to cause your own children to suffer and be blind and cast out for the rest of their lives because you just can't stop enjoying the weird stuff. Right. Like, if you want to get the weird, just talk to your girl, man. <laughs> right. Listen. Some girls. Well, like, you know what? If you, if just, just, get, just work it out. Either yes. that or go to therapy. I mean, that's what we would say now. Yeah. You know, but I mean, even in today's context, we don't need to go so far as to say, oh, he's gay, to say that's wrong. If you know a married man that is sleeping with other male prostitutes on the side, mm -hmm. that's not yeah, okay. Yeah, the homosexuality is not the issue. Yeah, the homosexuality yeah. is not the issue. Yeah. And when you see that Haggard. word- Haggard! And when you see the word Malakoy- Nobody remembers other, Ted Haggard? No, I'm not what you're talking oh. about. I the, I was thinking Hagrid. No, no. Oh, <laughs> so was I. And I was Hagrid? like, I don't really know how Hagrid fits Ted, into this conversation. Ted Haggard was a megachurch pastor that uh, had an illicit affair with male prostitutes and right. then fell oh, from yeah. grace. Yeah, sure. And you know, was he gay? Or was he just, again, as we're going to see, just enjoying the power dynamic of the way that you can make someone submit to you when you are the pitcher? Because I listen, I don't have a penis. Here's a bomb that I'm going to drop. I don't have a penis. Mm. I don't know what it's like to have one. I don't know what it's like to have sex with one. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it's like to walk around sticking it in stuff. <laughs> I know some guys with penises that don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just can't help myself. But from what I understand, I will tell you this right now. If I'm playing a blindfold game with a good friend of mine and I've got my eyes closed and, and I've got a blindfold on and they have a blindfold on too and they've got a plate of food items and we are blindfold, they are putting those food items in my mouth, right? Both of us are blindfolded. I am certainly in the far more vulnerable position. Yes. That's how I feel about sex. Mm, yeah. I don't have a penis, but I'm constantly the one getting the put in my mouth, right? right. Like, I, I don't know what it's like to be the blindfolded person with the plate of food doing the shoving, but there's a power dynamic involved there. And it's one of the reasons why we see God constantly restricting what men are able to do with their sexuality, mm -hmm. who they're able to sleep with, when they're able to sleep with them, and under what contexts. Mm -hmm. Because there's a, correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen, I have, mm, I'm gonna put a finger up because you might strike this from, from the record. This one might just get cut, but I just have to say it. I used to know a guy, and one time he was talking about um, anal sex with a girl and how that, more than anything else, really made him feel like he owned her. Mm, really? Yeah. And I've known women that I love deeply that had to break up with their partners because they had had that at some other point with some other woman, and it was now so deeply ingrained in their sexual identity that I couldn't live without it. There's a certain... Now, it's not all the case because I also know plenty of women that enjoy that. I know plenty of people that will, you know, North Pole, South Pole, it doesn't matter to them. They enjoy it either way sure. and way or the other, right? For some people, there is a very specific men, some men, there's a very specific power dynamic involved in, in the domination and in the control and in the the hierarchical structure of being allowed or not allowed, doing it anyway, to mm -hmm. penetrate another man from behind. Right. 
there's a power dynamic involved there mm -hmm. that becomes addictive and heady for some people. There's a reasonable amount of men for which sex is a game that they win mm -hmm. when exactly. they get it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, 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 and there's a certain level of um, when you can take it from someone without their permission, without their without their um, consent, yeah. you know, without their enjoyment. That's another level of it. And again, women can be bad and women can do that too. But as a general rule, unfortunately, it's the penis card holders. Mm -hmm. that that's, that's just the curse of that identity Right. at times, you know. God bless all of you men that have been able to shirk that. God bless all of you men that are just as disgusted by rape as the rest of us, right? Mm -hmm. God bless you men that would never, you know, even consider uh, taking enjoyment out of sleeping with someone who is is not consenting. But I am going to court with a girlfriend next month who was roofied and assaulted and filmed. Mm. You know? Oof. Yeah. It's a men, unfortunately, broken ones, they like to do that. And what Paul is saying is, once you have a conversion experience, it's not like don't do that because you're going to go to hell. You shouldn't want to do that anymore. I mean, do you know how easy it is in our society to observe pornography? Oh, yeah. I mean, do you know how easy it is? And, and let's just be real. <laughs> <laughs> From experience, I know. My point is, is that for those of you, and you might strike this from the record, but if you ever watch porn, most of the time it is domination. Yeah. And the male— Yeah, a lot of it it's is— It's always <sighs> about whether you're hitting or you're— Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, and supposedly the women enjoy it or whatever, right? But that's kind of the point. Like, the, the mm -hmm. women will play that role— Yeah. —because that's what men pay for. Right. Yeah. I you mean, like, the, 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 the majority of, of pornography, you know, exists so men can feel powerful. Yeah. And men can feel um, a sense of, of sexual gratification that's wrapped in and around being powerful. And I guess my point is, is yeah, that in absolutely. our society, it's just as rampant. It's just a lot of it is more hidden because it can be. Yeah. Because you have a device that you can use to, you know, partake. Mm -hmm. And it's not really hurting anyone necessarily, right? Yeah. But the people, the ones that who are voyeurs, voyeurs alone. Yeah. There's people out there that are acting that in yeah. order for you to feel a specific way. Well, and what's fascinating, I like that you say that because yes, so so when it comes to pornography, mm -hmm. because that's not something that is described or even talked about in ancient right. the Bible. Like there's not no the prohibitions against pornography, it. right, right, right. So we have to extrapolate, mm -hmm. right? And we understand that there's just as much of a no-no in watching porn as there is in filming porn. Right. If you are a believer, you probably probably right, mm -hmm. aren't going to, without any sense of, you know, conscious being kicked up, mm -hmm. either watch porn or participate in making porn, mm -hmm. right? That's, right? That's like what we talk about. Mm -hmm. So so this brings us right back to the next word because malakoi is right there next to another word, which is arsenicoitus. Mm -hmm. Can you spell that, please? I can. It's A-R-S-E-N-O-K. O-I-T-E-S. And there's one of those little like dashes yeah. over the second O. So arsenicoitus is a compound word between arson, which means male, and coitai, which means bed. And we're going to take a little weird sidestep into Greek 
linguistics, but mm-hmm. when you have compound words like this in Greek, there is another dynamic that's involved. Um, so the first part of the word, in this case, bed, um, is the force of action for, or the, excuse me, the second part of the word, in this case, bed, is the force of action for the first part of the word. Okay. So the second part of the word is the action to the first part of the word. So in this case, bed is the action to the first part of the word. So if we were going to translate it more kind of properly, it would be translated like the one who lies with a male. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, now, that particular um, language, first of all, that word never existed before Paul. Mm-hmm. We don't have that word recorded in any Greek literature anywhere ever. It shows up after Paul, but only when people are referencing Paul. So Paul like straight up invented a word to talk to discuss a specific thing happening in Corinth, mm-hmm. first of all. So again, and it never shows up anywhere else except for in First Timothy. And again, it's in the same context. Could have been slang just never written to. Possibly. One of the suggestions is that it was a Hellenistic Jewish word that was that was kind of like a like a widely utilized slang. Because if you look at that language, one who lies with a male, that's how you would properly translate arsenicoitus into Greek. It's um, basically the same language in the Hebrew as the Levitical prohibition against one who lies with a male. Mm. So it's as if Paul is specifically trying to create a Greek word that specifically harkens to that particular prohibition. So he's creating a word on that didn't already exist. He's creating a word that didn't exist in order to uh, explain explain a behavior happening now that has roots in then. The right audience would have been able to maybe— Convenience store, grocery grocery store. Yeah, yeah. The, the right audience would have been able to figure out what he was well, getting at, maybe yeah. from the context, if they knew. Mm-hmm. What was the name of the man that created the word homosexuality? What was oh, his name again? Uh, uh, Kraft von Ebbing. Yeah, I mean, so there wasn't a word like well, that Well, he before. didn't. It was these other two guys, these other right. two German guys. But Kraft von Ebbing is the person who wrote it down in Psychopathic Sexualis. But prior to that, yeah. it wasn't around. It wasn't and a word. Now, but now we use it in our vernacular all the time. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So he is generating something first, or at least in our biblical writings. Right, right, right. Every, yeah, somebody's somebody's going to publish. That's right. Somebody published it. Somebody's going to publish. That's right. Yeah. And so because we can and 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 again, you know, Robin Scroggs has said that there are parts of the compound word that show up in the Septuagint, mm-hmm. but never in that combination. And oh. it also is in often in reference to like this temple prostitution <clears throat> acts. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> Paul made up a word again to speak to a particular audience because the Christian church almost everywhere was pretty much a mix of Jews that had heard the the, the good news and Gentile converts, but each each different, each, because I mean, Paul always went to the synagogue first mm-hmm. and then went to the Gentiles, right? Mm-hmm. He was a, but his basic mission was to the Gentiles, right. but he often was going to the synagogues first, you know, and preaching the news there. Mm-hmm. And so, there, so you have all these dynamics of both, um, both Jewish and Gentile culture, but also you have the dynamic in this particular case in Corinthians of this like very stratified social structure. Mm-hmm. And Greece, Greece, Greece was a very highly stratified society, like socially stratified. I mean, also all societies are somewhat stratified, but like there are certain societies that, and Rome too, Roman society was very highly stratified. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and so like when you had these, these body, again, these bodies of believers that were, they were neither slave nor, nor free, nor Greek, nor Jew, that was an inflammatory statement because these, these, these places were very stratified. Right. So when Paul says, both the Malakoi and the Arsenicoitai are the issue. He is saying, if you watch the porn or if you made the porn. Mm-hmm. He's saying you guys both can't be doing that. 
Right. He's saying, if you are the person who is who is dressing yourself up and enticing married men to sleep with you because you enjoy this part dynamic, or if you're the guy that's like stepping out on your wife in Vegas, either of you are not so good. Mm-hmm. Don't be doing that. That's it. Right. Right. So that's what's going on. So, you know, and again, in either of these cases, what we're talking about are two behaviors that are out, that are, that are rooted in a certain attitude. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we're not discussing homosexuals and orientation because again, that didn't exist. That wasn't a thing. We are discussing very specific behaviors. Um, and so Malakoy, which is prostitution, but also prostitution that's rooted in a desire for power control and arsenicoitus, which is, you know, specifically being the active partner in a sexual action with mm-hmm. another male, but under the context of temple prostitution, which again, Corinth had the great, not at the time of Paul, but in its history, had one of the greatest um, uh, uh, temples to Aphrodite that employed thousands of temple prostitutes. Mm-hmm. So that, like, again, it had a reputation for being the place you went to get freaky. Right. And so that's what's being discussed here is the attitude, the heart condition that would lead you to engage in those kinds of behaviors. Mm-hmm. It's the heart condition of a young man that goes to his first frat party and waits until a girl's passed out in the bed before he goes and has sex with her. Right. It's not the heterosexual sex that's the issue. It's the heart condition that would lead that young man to engage in a behavior that is so predatory. Mm-hmm. That's what's being discussed. Sure. So... The other thing that's really interesting when it comes to words like malakoi and arsenicoitus is their conspicuous lack of those two words in other vice lists of Paul's writing. Mm-hmm. So like, for example, in Galatians 5, um, so Galatians 5, 19, so everyone knows Galatians 5, verse 22, mm-hmm. the fruits of the spirit are love, love, joy, and peace. Right. Patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruit of the spirit. You remember yeah. that? Yeah. You remember that? Oh, so, yeah. It was a big hit in my <laughs> Oh, yeah. That was an absolute banger. <laughs> but you jump up two verses, and, and his first step is Galatians 5.19 and following. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you as I warned you before. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then verse 22, he says, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, and peace. There's no arsenicoitus or malakoi in that list. Right. That wasn't an issue for the Galatians. So there's just like, yeah, these are, there wasn't any gay people. These are prescriptive lists for yeah. specific peoples. Yeah. yeah. So it's not- There wasn't a, a giant temple to Aphrodite there, that's for sure. That's true. Because golly, I've been to Galatia. If you've ever never been to Spain, <laughs> Galatia is like my favorite part of Spain. Mm. I loved hiking through there. It gave me big southern feels. Like it's got these big emerald coasts. It is. It was. It's got ties to the Irish, actually. Like they found old Celtic um, uh, crosses and stuff there. Like so. Like there was a. That you know, I think it was partially inhabited by by Irish people thousands of billions of years ago, whatever. But anyway, thousands of thousands of billions of years, whatever. Like whatever people were like just getting started, you know. Yeah. She's got but, facts, people. Yeah, but like, but the thing is, if this was, if, if Paul was specifically trying to say, don't be homosexual, then you would find those two words showing up in every opportunity that Paul has to say, these are the kinds of things that the Spirit of God does not 
than acting people. Mm-hmm. You don't see it in Galatians. You only see it in Corinthians. So again, it says to me, and knowing what we know about Greek culture and its its historical engagement in pederasty, its historic engagement in the denigration of women through its misogynistic belief that they were pieces of shit that weren't worth anything but childbearing, in the way that their number one sexual desire was a preteen boy, like we know all of that about this culture. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to me that those two prohibitions against a certain behavior are what need to be called out in this culture. Yeah, in that one particular city. Yeah, you know? And again, it's 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 the heart condition, okay, that's being outlined here. Because <sighs> Tamar dressed up like a temple prostitute and slept with her father-in-law. Both sleeping with your daughter-in-law and dressing up as a prostitute are against the law. Mm-hmm. But when Tamar did it, she was... Righteous. Right. More righteous than him. Yep. You are not to you are not to include a Moabite into the assembly of the Lord unto the tenth generation. Deuteronomy is very clear. Yep. And yet we have Ruth. Seventh generation. That's right. So once again, we need to be careful when we start looking at a behavior and condemning that person kind of ad hoc. Paul is not saying these behaviors send you to hell, just like you know. Tamar didn't get in big trouble for breaking two of, well, of course, the law wouldn't give in yet, but still. Yeah. Right? Well, I mean. It's the heart of the matter. Right. What Paul is saying is that when you are a person, listen, I'm a, I'm saved. I'm saved. I've been saved since I was six years old. Carousing just means drinking in a loud place. Mm-hmm. I did that yesterday. Yeah. Right? But in my heart, I was celebrating my friend's 42nd birthday. Mm-hmm. You know? While my husband watched my kids and texting, is everyone okay? Was I carousing? Yes. Was my heart condition one of wanton excess? No. Mm-hmm. No. You know? So, again, it's not just— are, are, you, are you going carousing right now, or are we talking about the Bible and your heart condition? My point is, is that you're not carousing continually. Right. It's not a lifestyle. No. Yeah. These, yeah. these drunkards, this isn't a one-off— Right. This is a lifestyle. This is a heart condition. This is a heart condition. Right. Exactly. Boy time. Yeah. Exactly. So this is a, you know, it's not a one and done, you know. Right. Hey, because I did this when I, that one time in college, does that make me a such and such? And the answer is no, of course not. That's exactly right. If you had a habit of going out, like I used to know this guy. Oh, I love him. He's such a sweetheart. I found out he was running for like some Republican office in Montana. I just really hoped he got it because he was just a lovely person. Before he was saved, he used to take his... um his high school ring and turn it around and go to the bar and get a drink and tap it. And act like he was married? Oh, yeah. Right. Just tap it, but like be all sad and bummed. And he said he got laid more by like these women <laughs> that, because again, for a lot of people, for the Malakoy, that's an example. It's just go with there's it. There's something about you belong to someone else and yet I can make you want me mm-hmm. that heals a certain wound of self-esteem. Yep. And so these women were more interested in like having a one night stand with a man that they knew they weren't going to have to like deal with tomorrow and who they then and thinking that they were taking him from another woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Like he got laid all the time. He was telling me the story bawling. He was crying because he felt so bad that he used to do that. He didn't feel bad when he did it before. After your conversion experience, whether you are gay or straight, I don't care. If you're going to like a sex dungeon, it doesn't matter to me whether you're going there straight or you're going there gay. Once you are saved, your heart is going to grieve that you did those things and maybe not want to do them in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, I I I don't 
I don't necessarily believe that sex is only allowed inside a marriage, but I do believe that sex is a powerful, connective, creative, and intimate behavior that should be contained only within the confines of loving, monogamous, or not even, honestly, frankly, not even necessarily monogamous, but like loving, consensual, eyes wide open, everybody on the same page experiences, right? Like, and I know people that are in, I know people that are in relationships where there's two or three people and that's all of the same context. You know, they all know these are the rules and they're all perfectly happy and loving and respectful. Hmm. Like, I know that that's weird. You know, those people aren't saved. So again, Paul says, listen, I don't give a F what they do out in the world. I'm not talking about them and you shouldn't judge them either. He says it in in 1 Corinthians 5, go read it again. Mm -hmm. He's like, that's God's business. Don't be judging them. I'm talking about believers. Mm -hmm. Talk about believers. Once you have been converted, once you have stepped out from your culture of sin and stepped into a culture of God, there are certain things that you are going to leave behind. Sex that is outside of a power dynamic that is healthy, sex that is going to cause harm to your committed partner that's sitting back at home, sex that involves, you know, um, lack of consent. These these things are never going to be okay. And your heart should grieve them. So if you're continuing to do these things after you've been saved, Paul is suggesting that the, you should be cast out of the body of believers, which is what he suggests they do to the young man sleeping with his mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Ca- cast him out because he's not really a believer. And he says so that, his, that's, that the Lord may save his soul. Yeah, he says, give him over to his flesh so that the Lord can save his soul. Right. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. He's not saying like, he's not condemning that guy to hell. He's just saying he's not actually Don't a believer. Don't keep him within the confines of yeah. the church, making him believe that, that, he is a believe, that he's okay and that he's a believer. That's yeah. not what's acceptable. Yeah, that's right. So separate him from that mm-hmm. to let him understand and think that, oh, that behavior is not okay. Yeah. And so then there's a chance, you know, for him to come to that realization. Yeah. that's And that's and exactly. And, you know, the, so the other place that we see um, our coitus is in 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 11. And it's a similar list. It's a similar vice list, just like we've seen in Galatians. Malakoi is not present in that particular list. It's just the arsenicoitus. And like, I'm not even going to spend time on it because it's like exactly what I just said. But mm-hmm. also, this is my, this is, this is where I'm, you know, people get mad at me. Paul did not write First Timothy. No New Testament scholar, no respectable New Testament scholar thinks Paul did. The style of Greek is completely different. It's not the same. It's probably written in, like, the person who wrote it wrote it pseudepigraphically. They are trying to sound like Paul in order to give more weight and credence to their words, which is perfectly fine. It's a canonized book. It's neither here nor there. But I think they used used Arsenicoitus on purpose because they're trying to sound like Paul. Hmm. And so they just stole a word that Paul made up that only Paul would use to sound like Paul. But yeah. even so, the same prohibition, whether it's in 1 Timothy and somebody who's not Paul wrote it, or whether it's in 1 Corinthians and Paul did write it, is the same. Don't engage in the temple prostitution. Mm-hmm. Don't engage in, in being the active participant in a, in a homosexual sexual encounter where uh, consent and agency are, are not included. You mm-hmm. know? That's the same. And so it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, and all this, in my opinion, when it comes to whether he was the author of that book or not, like you said, it was canonized. Um, we do know that Paul wrote other letters that actually didn't get canonized. Sure. They don't, they're not around. There's a third and fourth Corinthians. Yeah. There's uh, supposedly a letter that was written to the Laodiceans uh-huh. 
that no one can find. Sure. So he wrote a lot of things. So at you know at some point, you know, and he dictated his letters. He didn't really write them. He only like he would say, "I signed this in my own hand." He was he would dictate the letter sure. to people like Stephanus and mm-hmm. Marcus and and all these others that would write for him, Epaphroditus. Um, you know, to me, I'm not a scholar, mm-hmm. but I do know that. I've seen scholars on both sides that argue the point. Yeah. I struggle with canonization anyway. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure. Like yeah, I, sure. I struggle with canonization. Like why can't the book of Enoch be in it? Why can't the book of Jasher be in it? Like why are these certain books that the Bible quotes and references? I know. Aren't, not, aren't in not the Bible. In it. And there was, it's obvious <laughs> yeah. that there were men that made this determination. And we, you know, 2000 or 1800 years or 1700 years later are looking back and saying, that's when it was put together, and so we're going to accept that fully. And and you know what? At, at some point, you have to. It's you got to call it. Yeah. At some point, you got to call it. But I think you know I struggle with canonization anyway. Yeah. But it, we're arguing, and this podcast is based on that book, those those books, the sixty six books. Yeah. That's what we're talking about, right? So there are some people out there that be very offended by what you said. Yeah. Very offended. Like, what do you mean, Paul? Did? Of course you wrote it because it says his name, like I, Paul. Yeah. Okay. Understood. You feel whatever you want to feel. That's okay. Yeah. You know? They're going to be real surprised when they hear about Millie Vanilli. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) You know what's really sad is none of us actually know the names of the people that did it. We know that they did it. The music's still out there. The money's still being made. But we still don't know the names of the people that actually sang that. Oh, we don't? Well, I mean, you could Google it. I think he means we just don't. No, but we know Millie Vanilli. Yeah, but we We actually don't know their names either. It's just Millie Vanilli. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but we yeah really we know the people songs, that though, were man. in the video. Really mm-hmm. good songs. Mm-hmm. They were, they I were blame good. it on the rain all the time. It's a great song. It is. Yeah. But yeah, so I mean, that really pretty much wraps up the study. Honestly, I mean, we've taken a look at all the different, um, you know, all the different verses that specifically outline sexual activity between um, men. By the way, because really, absolutely none of this has to do with women. Yeah, except Which for is, in Romans, where like you said, it Romans, does mention the women. Yeah, but even then, again, it's not even. I, I made the I made the whole deci- I made the decision to go forward with that as if it was lesbianism because that's also a possibility. Yeah. But also, it's just many early church believers, many or the or the early church writers, like Origen and and Thomas Aquinas, they didn't think of lesbianism. That didn't even come into their sphere of r- r- reality. Mm-hmm. They were talking about women were now doing butt stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's all they were saying to try and keep their man. Mm-hmm. You know, or whatever. And it's interesting that in that list that he. Called, he says yeah. the effeminate. Yeah. It's not even written to women because women are feminine. Right. It's 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 specifically about men <laughs> about that men. are being yeah. male prostitutes. Yeah. Yeah. Not because they're slaves, not because they have no, you know, trying to make money, but because they just enjoy the power of, and the control of it. And it just they were didn't want to let go of their fading youth and right. being desirable and have decided to adopt feminine ways of behaving and acting, not like a transgender person. Listen. I, if you are a transgender person, you know a transgender person, and you're sitting here going, oh, Tiziana's saying that, like, the Bible says you can't be transgender, listen up, because we're about to have another conversation, what hap- what Jesus himself says in Matthew, that's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying that when you are, because this culture also, especially Greece, Corinth is Greece. The Greece, Greeks despised women. They weren't people. So even home, even heterosexual men didn't, would, would were sleeping with effeminate men because they really wanted to sleep with a woman, but not an actual woman because they're gross. <laughs> yeah. Right? 
So there's also the dynamic of misogyny involved in the Malakoy, in the the call boy. Mm -hmm. There's also the dynamic of these men are getting taking venereal disease back to their wives and to their childbearing women, right? There's all these other dynamics that are being in, that are being included in that particular prohibition. Again, it's about the heart condition, and it's about the the damage that it spreads. Mm-hmm rather than just don't be gay or don't be transgender. Because, and this is just kind of like an aside, because really we're pretty much done with this, but Matthew, why does nobody ever talk about Matthew chapter 19? What, I don't know what, why. What does it say? Well, let's read it. Yeah, Andy, why don't you talk about Matthew 19? I'm disappointed you know, in you. <laughs> I was frankly. thinking that just the other day, despite <laughs> the fact that I just asked you what it was. This coming from the guy that said Ecclesiastes was his favorite basketball team. <laughs> did you say that? He did. That's really funny. So Matthew 19, Jesus is teaching about divorce. So so before Matthew 19, um, there's the parable of the unforgiving servant. So Jesus is teaching, he's doing his parable thing. And then verse 19 opens with, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he cured them there. Some Pharisees came to him, and to test him, they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that the one who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined into his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal to divorce her? He said to them, It was because you were so hard-hearted that Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery. Which is, again, super inflammatory. And by the way, at this particular time, it was not uncommon for older men to just divorce their older wives and marry a younger woman. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, that's what a certificate of divorcement was given for. Moses gave them the right to do it. Right, but Jesus is saying, yeah, but you guys are terrible. The only reason yeah. you're doing this is because you want a hotter piece of ass. That's and that's right. like unacceptable. Yeah. Right, so so just FYI, Jesus isn't talking. Again, he's protecting women because that's what he always did. But anyway, his disciples said to him, if this is the case then a, um, of a man and his wife, it's better not to marry at all, which is so stupid. What do you mean it's better not to marry at all? Like, but whatever. <laughs> Who said this? The disciples. They're like, if it's such as the case of a man and his wife, then it's better not to marry at all. And he just says to them, not everyone can accept this teaching, but only those to whom it is given. There are eunuchs who have been so from birth. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs themselves for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. So let anyone who can accept this, accept it. Mm-hmm. What's a eunuch, y'all? Yeah, somebody with his genitals cut off. That's correct. Now, it's important to, you know, I like to bring up Paul in these cases. Yeah. When Paul says, you know, if it's better, it's better not to marry. When he says that, a lot of people yeah. are like, well, it's better not to marry. And then, you know, the Catholics for <laughs> thousands of years yeah. misinterpreted all that. Mm-hmm. He was making it very clear. And he says, whenever, if you burn with passion, then it's better that you should get married, right? Yeah. He's just saying, if you can focus on being the guy that ministers the gospel and you don't have that passion or that lust or whatever is going on in your body to have sex, yeah. then you're going to be okay. You don't have to worry about the cares of this world. But if you do feel that, it's better that you get married. That way you can focus on a relationship. Yeah. Then you are going to have the cares, but you're not going to be able to think about the ministry the same way. Right. Once again, that was in Corinthians. That, yeah, A exactly. culture that was like super obsessed with sex That's and right. needed to have some clear rules, mm-hmm. right? But here's the thing. So Jesus says there are some who are born eunuchs from birth. Yep. Now, I want to ask you— um, 
if you really think he's talking about a genetic abnormality called congenital anachordia. No, I don't think he's talking about that at all. No. So This is all about the heart. But this is where it gets twisty for me. Twisty. Eunuchs are men who've been castrated. That's right. For the sake of like kings and stuff, right? That's right. And he's and he's in in Rome, so we don't think he's talking about bilateral congenital and uh, it's, it's called a cor- uh, I can't say this word, a n o c h i a, anorchia. Excuse me. Okay. It's congenital anorchia, and it has an occurrence of approximately one in twenty thousand births. Right. So in Jesus's time, Galilee had a population of approximately three million people. Three million people divided by twenty thousand is one hundred and fifty. Mm-hmm. One hundred fifty dudes walking around. Born without balls. Mm-hmm. It's probably not what she's talking about. Possibly. No, that's not even what he's talking about. It's not what he's talking about. Not at all. So now, for me, this is what it says for me. <sighs> Jesus was living in a Roman-controlled Judea. Yeah. The Romans specifically, Nero was well-known for doing this. They were constantly castrating their slaves because they wanted to keep them as Malakoi. They wanted to keep their favorite young sex toys young and effeminate looking, and so they would castrate them. Mm -hmm. Eunuchs in Jesus's time were like effeminate, kind of didn't sleep with women. They were were castrated because they thought it made them less of a threat to the women. That's why they were taking care of all of the women harems. Esther asks the favorite eunuch what she should bring to the king. Why do you think the eunuch knew what sex toy Esther ought to bring to the king? Mm -hmm. Of course. Eunuchs, were were sex toys for men. They were men that slept with men. Mm-hmm. So for me, when she's like, look, some people are born eunuchs. Some people are just born that way. Some people are born effeminate. Some men are born effeminate. Mm-hmm. Some men are born not interested in women. Some men are born to not be in relationship with women. Some men choose it, right, to be eunuchs for the sake of don't sleep with women, don't mm-hmm. marry women. Some men choose that for the sake of cloth, cool, cool, cool. Some men have had that done to them. That's not really Against what they would prefer. Right. They wouldn't prefer that. But some men are born that way. Mm-hmm. So for me, if you are a transgender woman, if you are a transgender man, you are 100% born that way. I don't care. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Jesus said it. Mm-hmm. Some people are born that way. When I read that, I was like, why the f*** are we arguing about this? <laughs> Why get are the, we arguing about get this? Get the piano out, Andy. Get the piano out. I saved it. I saved it for a place for where the, it was really relevant. Yeah. Some men are born this way. He is not talking about congenital anorchia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Something so statistically insignificant. Especially in Galilee at that How, time, right? He's what? not talking about that. He's talking about some men are born not sleeping with women, not attracted to women, somewhat effeminate. Some men are just born that way. I mean, how many people have we met between the three of us in our lifetime that, that fit that description? Yeah. yeah. Zero, probably. You're talking about anorchia. Born without balls. Yeah. I have, I, I mean, I was, when you were talking about effeminate, like I grew up with people that when we were kids, they just, they were. They just were. Sure. They just you know, were. They just were. I mean, my, my, and this is like, I, I touched on this lightly and I hate that I'm even bringing this up now because I know a lot of people out there are just going to be like, oh, that's why she gives so much of a shit. My dad's gay. Mm. I was raised in the gay community. Mm-hmm. My dad's partner has known from the moment he was born that he just does not into women. Mm-hmm. He just, he's never been with one. He's never been attracted to one. He doesn't like them like that. He, you know, loves me and my sister, mm-hmm. loves my girls is kind and good to them, doesn't despise women in any way. He just doesn't want to have sex with them at all. Mm-hmm. 
Alan was just born that way. And that's okay. He's not despised of God or rejected from the kingdom of heaven. And it's not like, oh, well, he can be a Christian and that's just God will forgive that. No, he's fine Mm -hmm. just the way he is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's, I can understand why, man, I see it from every angle. That's the part, that's the problem with this subject. Mm -hmm. Like I see it from the ultra conservative side and I also see it from the extreme liberal side. Like for me, it's, and I, I'm sorry, and I, I'm probably going to lose a lot of friends when I say this, but I just think God's bigger than that, guys. I just think that He is. I think mm-hmm. He made all things, mm-hmm. and He was pleased with what He made. Now, sin is sin, and I get it. But just like you said in Matthew 17, I mean, Jesus made it very clear. Some are born eunuchs. I mean, what else could He possibly mean for crying out loud? I mean— I mean, do you really think he means some men are born without balls? I mean, I, I don't. I'm, I'm, it's 19, by the way, Matthew 19. Oh, I'm sorry, Matthew 19. But still, 19. you know what I mean? Like, I can't. I'm going to say it again. The likelihood that he knew more than one entire person that literally was born without balls, about zero. Let me ask mm-hmm. you guys a Just question. How zero. many random people that you know have you seen their balls? Right. You know? I mean, it's not like these guys were all sitting around, like, checking each other before they— Made friends. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They were like, wait a second, before we be best buds, like, I got to make sure you have two balls. Walking through the streets. Yeah. I was born without balls. <laughs> That's what I'm you saying. Know? All right. Like, and like, and here's the other thing too, like in terms of like transgender people, there are all kinds of, Andy, you talked about this. There are all kinds of genetic um, constructions that could make a person be born with like an XY chromosome, but just never turns into a boy because they have androgen insensitivity syndrome or they have other kinds of like issues. Like there are lots of, of, of ways that a body can be born and God doesn't make trash, right? Mm. So if you're born that way, then God intended you to be born that way because you have a special purpose on the planet to embody those two energies. You know, I mean, I, I, I know people that have been born with both sets of genitalia. They can't help it. They were born that way. Mm-hmm. You don't get to tell them which one is their spirit. Right. They get to decide that. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it and, and it this happens all the time. We say it's rare. It's not. One point seven percent. Amnesty International has estimated up to one point seven percent of the global population is intersex, which means that there's some kind of genetic abnormality that you would never know unless you do like a did their blood work or b looked at their parts. Let's do the math. So let's say yeah, that's there's a seven lot. seven billion people on planet Earth, and Amnesty International says one point seven percent. Let me save you a little work. It's the same percentage of people that have red hair. Okay. Redhead, wow. redhead, yeah. It's the same percentage of people, approximate good, people that have red hair. That's probably a better way yeah. to put that than the number, sure. You know any redheads? Guess what? You probably know an intersex person. So back off, mind your business. Yeah. And if people, as long as people aren't engaging in sexual activities, regardless of their orientation, that aren't these things that God doesn't want you to do, mm-hmm. prostitution that is involved in like, you know, again and again, and again, <laughs> I'm not sitting here saying if you are a prostitute that you are not allowed to enter in the kingdom of God. I'm not saying that. Tamar was blessed. It's a heart condition. Mm -hmm. If you are a person that enjoys sex with a prostitute because you like the power dynamic of telling someone to do without loving them, if you are enjoying prostitution because you like being objectified because you you don't love yourself and you want to be fetishized, Mm -hmm. then that's a a heart condition that's problematic. And you need to take that to the Lord. Mm -hmm. That's what's being said here. Okay. So anyway- 
that's really the end of my that's that's my soapbox. So we that's a six month long soapbox. No, May, June, July, August. That's a four month soapbox. People, Woo! I'm tired. I don't want to talk about this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, rather than make it a second like another episode, why don't I, I just wanted to say a few closing thoughts on my own. Oh well, we can do a second episode. I'm just saying well, I don't want to have almost, to argue it I mean, anymore. Yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. What time is it even? <laughs> yeah. So it's quarter to nine. All right. Well, you can just close this one out, and then we'll just do a quick follow-up. Yeah. We can do a 30-minute follow-up. Okay. Can we put it out to the audience if you have things that you would like to ask in regard to this? If you have anything ugly to say, keep it to yourself. I'm not going to I'm not gonna share it with anybody. If you do have real questions and or you have something that you want to say in regard to this, like, hey, I've read it this way, uh, or I see where she was going with the Hebrew, but I'm a Hebrew scholar, and I have this information I'd like to share. Something like that would be oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah. Bring Absolutely. Bring I want to hear that. Yeah. I know um, there's a there's a man by the name of Michael Brown uh, who wrote a couple of books on this subject, and I haven't fully read his work, but I know that he has, you know, he's talked about it from a different perspective than the one that you took. And so there's, but that's going to be, that's, <laughs> that's predominant, to be honest with you. So. Yeah. Anyway. Good stuff. I'm very proud of you, though. I have to say that this is an amazing work. Well, thank you. It's, a lot it's, of work. It's a lot of. It's been a. It's a lot of work. And mm-hmm. and 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 what I would recommend for anyone that's listening that is curious, because like you just said, you just quoted a, a book by another person who did my amount of exhaustive research, but yet came to the ultimate conclusion that homosexuality is, in fact, as an orientation, not godly. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you would curious about the two main books, aside from the Greek class that I took. Good luck with that. If you want to go take <laughs> audit a class in classic Greek literature, please feel free. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But what I read was a book called The New Testament and Homosexuality by Robin Scroggs. And then I wrote Unclobber, Rethinking Our Misuse of the Bible on Homosexuality by Pastor Colby Martin. Those are the two biggest source books outside of my other, just my own stuff. Like you're not going to find anything about like Aristophanes and Agathon and shit in there. That's me, but. Yeah. It's still good stuff though. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, guys. Daisy. We'll yeah. see you folks next time on the Bros of Berea. Peace out. Boo. Hey, guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.